0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network hello and welcome to the wisdom cricket weekly podcast before we start the show how does the offer a of free beer sound to you the kind people at Beer52 are offering a free case of 8 craft beer sourced and created from the best breweries on the planet. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom and cover the £5.95 posted fee. Each case is delivered directly to your doorstep so you do not need to leave the house. So go to beer 52com forward slash wisdom to get that deal. Anyway, on with the show. Zach Crawley in just his eighth Test match scored the 10th highest individual score in England's Test history before rain at the Aegeus Bowl deprived England of the opportunity of doubling their series lead. But James Anderson still managed to sneak in his 600th Test wicket of his career to become the first teamer to reach that landmark. I'm Yasrana and to discuss all that, the Willis and more is the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Bed Gardner, and the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. Good morning, everyone. Ben, a couple of weeks ago, you said... Zach Crawley is finding his feet, test average of twenty-six, first class average of thirty. You can't expect him to make up for those returns, even if he's going to be a good player. How surprised were you by that performance from Crawley?
1: Yeah, I think I think I was surprised, and I think everyone, even those who backed him and said he should be in the team right now, would also be surprised at just how good and and kind of complete a, a player he looked and how complete an in innings that was. We were sort of discussing that it's hard to think of a an England player having come in in a tough situation against a good bowling attack and getting through it in that manner without being sort of like gritting their way through it or counterattacking, basically just like playing fluently and kind of looking like almost like a cut above everyone else in the pitch. It was, it was properly brilliant. I think that, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's certainly proved, proved, proved me wrong to an extent, but, but I think that, yeah, I don't think uh, maybe only Ed Smith thought he was that good. I think, yeah, it was uh, an amazing innings.
0: Yeah. Um... I, I, it's, for me, it kind of reminded me of watching like England when they were really good uh, under under Andrew Strauss. It's like watching almost like a Peterson hundred, like how fluent he was in some of the shots he played. My favourite shot was the one he played to get to 250, where he walked down the pitch, walked across the stumps against the bass, and just flicked him through through mid wicket. Um, Joe, did he remind you of any young players or any inning breakthrough innings from players in years gone by? Uh,
2: I don't know about. Other players specifically, I mean, it was only a few months ago that we were watching Ollie Pope score his first Test 100 and I thought that was the most assured maiden 100 by an England batsman for a very long time and I think Crawley may have even topped that. He didn't play quite the outrageous shots that Pope did at the end of that knock, um, but it was the just the fluency of the whole thing. We were watching, we were all together watching the first session and uh, I think Phil says he's almost batting too well here because he was playing so fluently it was a sense, would, would he be able to rein himself in and go on and get a big score? And he didn't have to rein himself in. He just carried on and got that enormous score. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, Ben's probably right. I don't think even those, including Phil, who, who, who kind of supported Crawley a lot on the podcast last week, uh, would have anticipated quite what was to come. Um, but he's going to be around for a long time. I think I predicted before the game that he was
3: going to get 260-odd. Actually, so I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. obviously, look, it's, it's blown all—it's blown all our minds. Uh, if he'd got a hundred and two, then it would have validated his his position in this team. Uh, where do you start with an innings like that? You, you ask for comparisons, and they're a bit naff. Uh, to do so, but they're really fun anyway. It reminded me a bit of Vaughn. Reminded me a bit of early Vaughn. If you, sh- if you, you know, Vaughn six two, you know, six two, six two and a half. Obviously, Crawley's even taller than that. But there, there were echoes of Vaughn. If if they if they pitched it short, he would naturally hook and pull, and he would pull in front of square. He would pull with time. If if they pitched it up outside off stump, he would check drive you either straight or through the covers. There wasn't maybe the like the willowy elegance of Vaughan. And he wears a big arm guard and he's got a terrible back grip. So that's 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 the black mark. We can work on that though over the next few months. Uh but there were there were technical echoes I thought of Vaughn. Um Vaughn in in the golden age. Vaughn in that, those those early years when when the sun was shining and everything was there for him. Uh there were slight echoes of Peterson. Again the reach uh, he can manufacture situations very nicely. As you say, he was coming down the, down the track within the first 20 minutes of his innings. But there wasn't anything ostentatious about it. There wasn't anything showboaty about it that maybe Peterson had more, more of that kind of stuff in his locker. But what it, what it did show is that there was a clarity of thought there. That was the way to play, uh, Moa Bass on the first morning. Uh, everything had a, had logic behind it. And then, and then he had, he has the game. He just has the game. Um, look, we went on about this last week, but if you just watch how he plays, plays the good balls, he doesn't follow them. There's no curtain rail. He doesn't go looking for them outside of stump. He plays the line. If it swings, then he doesn't tend to nick off that often and. And the good nuts, he just plays them very, very late under his eyes. The amount of times where it just bounces up right in front of him and it almost sort of knocks his knocks his helmet off on the bounce because he's played it right under his eyes. He played one particular shot of a similar ilk to that that had echoes of Williamson where he just let it run off the face down through third man. This is when they'd scattered the field a little bit more and there wasn't the risk attached to it because I don't think they had more than a couple of slips, maybe even just the one. And again, it just showed the creativity that he has, as well as the technical acuity. And look, uh, okay, 267 is is beyond everybody's wildest dreams. But what was really striking about it is that it felt inevitable. And that's what Vaughan used to do. If Vaughan used to get to 100, then for that first two years, Joe, you remember, it was kind of, it average. I mean, I think he made 390s, didn't he, at that time? That's and 170 as well. India, and, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he made the 160. Vaughan used to make big hundreds. And and that's what you you saw with Crawley. Once he got past that 100 and you thought, oh my word, he's just going to keep going here, isn't he? Why wouldn't you when you can play with that kind of tempo and that kind of fluency? Uh, look. There's a
0: fluency that no one else really showed across the test. It was quite a high-scoring test match, but everyone else kind of st- even like we'll get on to Butler in a bit, but even Butler, his hundred and fifty came at a strike rate of less than less than fifty. Um and Yeah, he's he
1: scored fluently to begin with and then kind of got slower and slower as the innings went on, Butler. And he kind of said that he sort of uh, felt he was kind of like losing rhythm out there. Which but that does show that it's still impressive that Crawley carried on. I guess as a rally towards the end of his innings. Yeah. I guess, I guess I guess when he's batting
0: but with a, with a tail. But yeah. I guess with with um with with Crawley, within in the last few years, when we've had new England batsmen come into the team in the t- at the top of the order in particular, when they've got runs, there's almost been like a real struggle to get there. Mm. And when and you know, you feel like they've they've um, they've climbed a mountain once they have got to 100, and you kind of feel like that that is their peak. Like I think Phil, you made a comment in the office before you can't really see Sibley and Burns ever being able to score those massive hundreds. Chris Crawley just did it, almost like laughably easily.
2: And you're right. And there was that session where him and Butler were batting towards the end and it did feel like kind of glory days england where they would just put on these huge partnerships and bat and bat and grind the opposition into the dirt and it, it was easy to forget at that point how much we were talking up this pakistan attack only a couple of weeks ago this wasn't a weak attack that they were taking advantage of this was uh really making a very good attack look quite average uh and it has it has raised the fluency with which he played has raised interesting debates for the winter test matches wherever they might end up being they'll be somewhere in the subcontinent or in the UAE Um, and this idea that you want your opener to be able to to score reasonably fluently because that's often the easiest time to score runs against the harder ball well it's it's a tough one because you don't want to move Crawley from three having just done this but he does look a great option to open particularly when you consider that Stokes has got to come back in and they've got to find some spinners to play.
1: Just one thing. I don't want this to be interpreted as me sort of raining on his parade or anything, because it was a spectacular innings. His moment, man, You ain't. But 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 I, I I I guess that the worry is is that we we either you know we, we either write someone off or we hype them up to the extent that they you know that the, the the next like huge star and you know you've seen people saying he's going to play well into the twenty thirties or something's gone seriously wrong if that doesn't happen he is still uh, a you know a young player with like one spectacular innings uh, but he is still in a way finding his feet there will still be days where he kind of there'll there'll be struggles that he has to conquer he has to you know go away from home and prove himself there and that sort of thing like I I just I think but basically if if he doesn't average 40 straight away from now that's not a reason to drop him from the team I think he now deserves loads of time to find his feet and it's not like you know that that shouldn't surprise people and therefore that shouldn't need to be something that's almost talked about too much. If he does kind of not repeat this again and again frequently from now, like have this. you
3: pay, have you paid Taha your bet money yet?
1: Uh Yeah, the wine gums are uh, are over there on the side, right? So that was at stake, was it? <laughs> yeah, a, pack a packet of wine, of wine gum. gums. Yeah,
3: and just just for the
1: the listenership, what what was the gig again? Uh It, it was the. Zach Crawley would average... Uh, well, it was just an over-under thing of, of how much Zach Crawley averaged for the summer. I, I can't remember the exact figure. 33, I think yeah. Thank you, Yes. Thank yes. you. Um,
3: you're right, by the way. You, you are right. And um, there are trickier times to come for Crawley. It, it, such is the vastness of that particular innings that obviously we're all collectively as a cricketing culture going to get far too excited about what's what's happening here. Um. It, it, I, I totally agree with Joe. As I've said before, I think I think it becomes very persuasive for him to be an opening batsman at some point. But then the flip side of that is that he he, he looks like a natural number three as well, you know. But then they are quite interchangeable positions these days, and you've seen it over the last few years. Um, it, I think just think for the moment that. Uh, let's just glory in the numbers for a minute let's just put that in context 267 22 year old in 1938 out here Len Harton made 364 he was 22 years old when Gower made a double hundred in 1978 he was 22 year old let's just glory in the, the the vastness the magnitude of this thing for a minute and then we can you know, a minute past midnight when he's trapping them on against India and being befuddled out there, then we can, we can reassess where, where his career's at. But for the moment, my word, let's just set, set, settle back. That's the 10th highest score in English Test match history.
1: Hmm. Yeah, he's got more, more Test 250s as, uh, than Sachin Tedulka, as we delight in pointing
2: out on, <laughs> on Wisdom <Wizards laughs> I saw on Twitter that Twitter. one went down well on Twitter. Yeah. That was,
3: uh, just <laughs> just yeah. one final, final thing from me. He'll be walking off 33 shy, kicking himself. There's cricket for you, two six seven under your belt, maiden test hundred. Thinking, ah, oh, really balls.
2: Do you up. think? Do you think? Even in the, I know in almost any other circumstance, would, I would agree would with you. Would you be feeling that though? But he just looked so happy, happy the entire with two, time. Six, seven, personally. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: all right, okay. In time, you wake up and you think, fine, all right, yeah, I've done, I've done pretty well there. But in the the immediate moment, you're thinking, oh, if I just batted five more overs. Five more overs. I'd have been the first man in a quarter of a century to, to
2: make 300 for England. The, the concentration, we should talk about the concentration as well, because it wasn't just the stroke play. For a player to have done that in a test match, having never done it in first-class yeah. cricket, is an extraordinary thing. Alistair Cook always talked about you had, you had to learn to be able to bat. It wasn't necessarily a technique thing. It was just a, almost like training your mind to do that. And Crawley didn't have that training, but somehow still managed to pull it off. Uh, in a test match against a very strong attack, Greg, Ch- Greg Chappell, late seventies,
3: made two hundred and seventy something, I think it was, in a test match, and didn't talk to anybody for days afterwards because he was heartbroken that he'd, he'd blown his chance of a triple.
1: I think that the, 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 the reason why I think he, I don't won't... think
3: Crawley's going to be on suicide watch here. Incidentally,
1: <laughs> the, re- the reason why I think it won't be is because it because it was so fluent and it all came so naturally. It kind of, it, even though actually, when you kind of think with, from a poorly objective point of view, that you wouldn't be surprised if that ends up as his test high score even if he like has, oh, sure. has a brilliant test career absolutely but, but i think right like coming off the field it kind of felt like well he's gonna like he probably feels like well I, i'm gonna have loads more chances to get to a, a triple 100 kind of thing you know like uh it doesn't feel like that was his one chance because oh, you imagine if he does on.
0: you imagine if he actually
3: matches that again yeah seven times <laughs> in well the next year. i just loved
0: how happy he looked like throughout the whole whole innings when he scored 100 it wasn't like Face it, massive uphill battle getting the team, or whatever, and you know, finally got there, overcome adversity. We're just like, Oh, I've scored 250 this yeah, th- There was no release, well. was there? Yeah. It was just
2: pure, just like, th- 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 This is nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe it is just his youth and his inexperience. But right from the very first uh, match he played in uh, in New Zealand, uh, he looks like he's taken it all in stride. There's not the it's not like someone like uh, like Milan, for instance, or even Sibley who or Burns who have waited so long in county cricket that when they play that Test match, there is that huge pressure that they put on themselves to then come good. Crawley doesn't seem to have had that a little in the same way that Ollie Pope has just kind of taken it all in his in his stride, and you just hope he can kind of continue that for as long as he can because it won't last forever. Those pressures do come in. It will take three low scores before Ben's starting to calling for him to be dropped again. Um, so hopefully he can just enjoy it for as long as he possibly can before it all gets a bit bit serious because it will.
1: Uh, so I think I mean it's probably one we'll discuss probably much closer to the India series. But the other advantage of Crawley opening, not that I'm saying that's what should happen, but Butler looked just has looked much better all summer and kind of his whole career at number six and number seven and in a position where he can put on partnerships with batsmen and play like a proper batsman than having to be this kind of. Slogging with the tail wicket keeper. What, what
3: are the stats? I think you tweeted. Was it so, you?
1: Yeah, I wrote I a little thing on it. He averages just under fifty at number six and just above thirty at number seven. From which, how many games at six? Roughly, so I think it's it's about so like
0: fifteen innings. I think? Yeah,
1: right. Okay. So, yeah, that's so a reasonable sort of sample size. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it could be a slight statistical quirk, but I, but I think there is reasoning behind it in that because even when he was doing well at seven, when he came back into the team, he was batting with the likes of Curran and Wokes and able to put on partnerships. So I think that because it's odd because you kind of think he can smash sixes so he should be able to be at seven and do that with the tail but actually in test cricket I think he just likes to be able to play and that would give you the advantage and also There were a couple
0: of weird examples of him like obviously not quite batting with the tail right
1: I'm I'm trying to I'm really scraping my memory here but I remember the first innings against New Zealand in 2019 he hole out to deep point when he didn't really need to because Jack Leach was at the other end and when kind of Santner was off the pitch exactly mm. yeah yeah and but but Jack Jack Leach was just was blocking it fine so Butler could quite easily just batted quite normally and then like hold out and then got a bit of stick for that and then in the South Africa game I think when Quinton de Kock kind of showed the way to play and like counterattacked, Butler then was really really defensive almost trying to make up for that earlier thing so I think that there's like in that position I think he can slightly struggle to re-situations, whereas when he's back in a partnership, he kind of is able to be the perfect foil for a partner at the other end, often.
2: A lot of that will be confidence, though, won't it? Yeah. I mean, he would. He was trying to play in a one-day manner in test matches at the end of an innings without any test runs behind him. Now, mm. if he tried to do that, if there was a match next week, he'd probably have a lot better chance of coming off just because he's, he's got runs under his belt, a bit less pressure on his place on the side, although I know a lot of people are still getting stuck into his wicket-keeping. He um, took
0: three amazing catches. I know he dropped the the really bad one of Anderson, Later on in the test, we took three brilliant catches that as well. was
2: that was bad I, mean, I think we 're all big fans of Ben folks here and have, have advocated from a different a different points, but there is also a point where you get to Ben folks might actually drop catches i 've seen him drop a catch here actually <laughs> The idea that every time Butler makes a mistake, folks wouldn 't have done that mm. because he 's a keeper, and Butler is a batsman pretending to be a keeper is a, is a false logic really uh, Butler makes has made a few more mistakes this summer than than he would have liked has also taken some amazing catches. But let's be honest, I know that the purest argument is you just want the best keeper, but that is not the way sides go. And there is a reason behind that. Uh, and if Butler's scoring the runs that he is, then obviously mm. he continues in, in that role. And I, th- I think you don't want to take the gloves away from him at this point as well. I think he's he's getting, he's getting finally getting a, a settled role in the side and, and that should continue. Mm. Yeah, the, ca-
0: the catch-off best was I thought arguably the most impressive of the lot, actually. Like, significant
3: moment that really, mm. I would say for his own uh, reading of his summer, you know, because obviously what happened the previous test match or maybe even the one before, I can't remember anymore. I can't remember anything anymore. It's all just, it all merges in. Uh, but to have taken that catch, which spat off the pitch against the lefty and he's taken it, you know, eye level, but behind his shoulder, excellent catch. And if he, if he is, uh, let me say, was in burdened with the gloves in India, then hopefully he'll be able to look back and remember that moment rather than the stinkers of the of the previous uh, games. Just one very brief thing on the technique technical side of it. They touched on it uh, on Sky. It's relevant. Uh, he's joined the, the chest out open stance brigade. Um, I know I'm quite boring on this subject, but I am an absolute evangelist for this technical development that we're seeing in batsmen more and more. He was off balance against the West Indies. Um, that horror show of a second innings in the first Test match when I think he got nine in thirty odd balls and. Alzari bowled him uh, and he was, his head was falling over his right shoulder and the body was leaning towards cover point. Uh, well, he's opened up his stance. He's opened up his front foot. His chest uh, is more facing down, down the pitch. The head is now still. Uh, the shoulders are aligned and he's now punching and hitting mid-on, mid-off and straight. Uh, and, he, and he now looked, I thought, in the 38 second innings, uh, first innings rather, a second test, 75, obviously, and then now this 150. I think he just looks
2: technically like a top six batsman. So, so Phil, now that they're, they're about to... Well, he's not in the white ball bubble, but say he was playing a one-day series in two weeks' time, would he then revert back to the technique that he's previously had? Is this now what he does in test cricket? Or do you, can you have different techniques for different formats? Because that sounds like a very confusing thing to switch between.
3: It's a really good question. Um, I don't think it's a, it's... Results in an overhaul of his of his skill set. It's just an alignment issue. Uh, w- w- when he's, he's going to be batting in the last fifteen overs of an ODI, he's going to be moving all over the crease anyway, isn't he? He's going to be sticking his his you know his left leg around the, round the back of his right leg. He's going to be flicking it over his shoulder. He's going to be chesting it and chest volleying it over mid wicket. He's going to be doing all kinds of funky things, uh, and the requirements to play. In a so-called conventionally technical manner, is he is he going to be looking to try and punch a uh, a quick bowler to to long on? He's probably not, but he is in a, in Test cricket. In one day cricket, he's probably going to look to try and you know reverse hands that 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 very straightforward delivery. You know, a good length ball on off stump in one day cricket to Josh Butler is is a, is a, a, an open offer to hit it wherever he likes. Uh, but it is a good question, it is a very, and it'll be really interesting to watch if he, if he comes in and they're 50 for three or four, and he has to play a so-called proper innings, as he did say at Old Trafford a couple of years ago against Australia. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, but certainly if you, t- if you just take the split screen of the start of his summer to the end of his summer as a test player, there's
2: a, a small but profound difference in his technique. But you wonder if there had been a white ball series against West Indies, which he was part of between the test series against West Indies and the test series against Pakistan, whether he'd have had the same results in this test series against Pakistan. Very possibly not. And it, it just goes to show how difficult it is for players who try and play all formats. And
1: uh, yeah, I, I, I would say that, I mean, we've, we've seen with Berso sort of the opposite thing happen. Like a, we had a very good test player crack one day cricket and arguably, and in my opinion, that's what has led to him struggling in test cricket. And I think if, if you kind of, if, if, there were even the hint of that happening in the other direction for joss butler in white ball cricket it that would be enough for me to make quite considerable the question of is it worth butler considering trying to try and correct descriptions because he's so fundamental to england's plans and that for in those formats which they are now taking seriously so so if it is that he like isn't able to switch between two techniques and if that sort of chess on technique is like a good one for for test cricket but not for one day cricket that would be i mean it's you know it's, it's not happened yet Sure. <laughs> so, But but the, but the merest hint of that would be yeah. a, a concern for England. It,
3: it's an interesting debate. Personally, uh, I would always lean towards developing the test player. But then that's that's me. I'm of a certain age and a certain temperament. But I would always prefer Joss Butler to nail the ashes next year to be a key part of England's tilt at uh, a limited overs double, personally. Joe?
2: Um... Well now they've won the World Cup, I probably yeah, this is ag- it agree with you <laughs> um, but I also think with Butler it's the case that white ball cricket came so naturally to him and always has done It seems unlikely that he'll kind of forget how to do that bit. It feels like the struggle was for him has been to learn how to play test cricket, um so hopefully it'll be easier to revert the other way yeah uh, if you see what and, I mean. and, and the
3: points you make about how the white ball stuff would have impinged on his on his time to develop and you know, attune this technique for Test cricket. It just throws into focus how ridiculous it was that he went from that run out last summer, didn't play the Island game, batting six or seven at and a week later in in an Ashes Test match without having seen a red ball. For seven or seven months before that and, and then he gets a load of abuse for it but, but in he, a normal he, he test summer
0: but in a normal test summer that is, that, that is going to be what happens to Butler he's going to play in the IPL he's not going to have county championship cricket behind him he's going to come straight from the IPL right into well a test if setup. that
3: if that is the case then from here on in and the schedules are so condensed that you literally won't even have one knock for, for Lancashire in a four day game if you're Josh Butler then and you're moving from a condensed focused period of white ball cricket suddenly into that and it applies to any cricketer, then we have to allow for them to, to adjust. We have to, we have to take it on the chin, in that awful phrase, uh, and accept that you know, Butler, is not, Butler and his ilk are not going to deliver immediately to order. Um, and we have to give them a degree of, of leniency as a consequence, because they are working, if you are right, they are working in a, in a, in a schedule that's bloated and not really fair on the players.
0: Well, Butler ended up winning the Player of the Series award. Did he? He did, yeah. Good. Um, England ended up scoring 583 for eight in their first innings, and despite a brilliant hundred from Ali that we'll get onto in a bit. Followed on, Jimmy Anderson took five for 56, bold one of on the spells of the summer, and ended up taking a 600th test wicket on the final day. The numbers are just staggering. and It is worth going through a few of the best ones. Since turning 30, Anderson has taken 322 test wickets at 23.87. Since turning 35, he's taken 120 test wickets at 21. James Anderson is the second quickest in terms of deliveries bold to reach 600 test wickets. Moorley got there in an over quicker than Anderson. There is no obvious dip in quality. His pace hasn't dropped at all. If anything, he, he actually bowled one of his fastest spells he has done in years this summer. Um, it's, it's quite hard to actually say anything new on it, but he's just defying logic to an even greater degree as time goes on and he said at the end of uh the series yesterday that Joe Root has told him he wants him in Australia um Ben when do you reckon he'll stop
1: uh well I'm, I'm going to slightly avoid that question at first just say so, so <laughs> that actually I, I think the most incredible in feat of endurance is almost not the physical one but just the the mental one just the ability to go again and go again especially in an England team that tends to sort of chew up and spit out it's like it's great players. I mean Kurt retiring at, at 33 when you're still scoring scoring runs day in, day out for Essex is a kind of particularly notable example of that. So I mean and it's and, and that seems if anything to be getting more like the the fire is growing brighter every day, it seems like he uh perhaps the sort of the, the question of his place fired him up. But even before that he was kind of saying, like, you know, I want to play into my forties, that sort of thing. Um and I, th- I think, to be honest, I mean, we probably do still have to accept that, they, that there are going to be times away from home when he is left out on because England want to go a different way with their bowling attack, not just for the case of resting him, and that they might want to start rotating Broad Nansen at home from next summer with the look to developing their future, the people who are going to take over possibly. But I think if he's happy to play on for as long as he can and England are kind of happy to have him around and he to be like, you know, to, to, to play... Like, as many games as they can get out of him, and also, like, for for both to kind of be fine with Anderson being left mm. out, then I mean, like, literally, who knows? I mean, we've, we've had Darren Stevens out here at the Oval taking five wickets, having signed a contract with Kent to play p- when he's past 45. And I mean, Anderson will probably be looking at that, thinking, like, I fancy a bit of that. It's uh, a yeah, but yeah,
0: I think, I think the um, what's what was written on Anderson and the importers of England finding a replacement for Anderson and bro- replacement for Anderson and Broad is potentially slightly overblown because if Anderson stopped playing now, England still have loads of options who'd be really good at home. Broad, as we've talked about quite a lot this summer, is four years younger than Anderson, so you shouldn't probably lump the two of them um, together.
2: In terms of what happens after Anderson and Broad, we've kind of almost gone... I think we all expected certainly Anderson to have finished by now. So we've almost kind of gone beyond that point and their replacements are arriving and playing with them. So this is why we've got the kind of the luxury of bowling options that we have. I thought it was interesting, oh, a, a nice quote from Manson from that he said, well, I can't just be expected to take wickets over here and then have a rest when they go and kind of break their backs bowling in India and Sri Lanka and elsewhere. So he wants to do the whole lot. Uh, he obviously can't do every single test match and that's that's not the best way of managing him. But I thought it's Shane Warne's idea. It was one of his more out there ideas. But I thought there was some kind of merit in there that he, he becomes almost a kind of bowling coach on some of these tours. So he's there available to play but he's almost there as a to kind of guide some of the other other bowlers.
0: It was put to Anderson that suggestion, and he was said, it? and he said that well, it's kind of what he does anyway. So that's like, the role of a senior player to help the younger players. So he kind of said, well, don't I just I, I just kind of do that. I guess anyway. what it
2: would do, and he probably wouldn't like this. It would <laughs> legitimise taking him and not playing him, mm. which is always a problematic thing to do when you've got a bloke with 600 Test wickets. Um, so it, it would help in that regard. And also, I mean, in, in, say it's Sri Lanka, I mean, Sri Lanka only picked one seamer when they were playing England mm. last time. England picked, what, two? England could very conceivably pick one seamer and Stokes and then the rest of spinners. Mm. So, do you take Anderson that tour? You probably want him there, but there's a good chance he might not actually play. Uh, you'd pick Broad over Anderson in those conditions at the moment, you think? I mean, I, I would. Yeah, but I
0: mean, even looking forward to Australia, Anderson still did all, you know, you still probably want... Uh, a, a containing bowler over there and Anderson did do very well did that job well even in 17-18 when he even got thumped
2: the thing he's just got to <laughs> understand that he is not necessarily going to be first choice every time but it sounds from what he's been saying recently I think he is, has made his peace with that and if, and if that's fine it's not going to cause issues in the dressing room and he's happy to help out the younger players as he seems to be then yeah of course you want him in Australia
3: there's no question that Anderson is the Messi of cricket and no question that Anderson's record puts him far and away uh, on a different plane, different pedestal to any other English bowler in history. So let's just get that out of the way first. Um, the notion that he's some kind of physical freak, I'd take issue with, right? He, he's, he's played in an era where everything is now geared towards longevity as a quick bowler. Obviously, he's, he has such a good action that he's managed to avoid injury, albeit in the last couple of years, he struggled a bit. But across most of his career, he's, he's had that in his favor. Um, his desire is, that's freakish. His, his will to carry on is freakish. But the amount of overs that he's bowled in the course of his career is not especially unusual. He's played, uh, he's played 253 first class games. Contextualise that, Andy Caddox played 275, Hogarth's played 239, Goff played 248. So if you just take those four as kind of bowlers who bowled well into their 30s and bowled a lot of, of overs for England as well, he, the, the number of cricket matches that he's played, and also incidentally, he's hardly played one-day cricket
2: in the last few years. He's not whereas, played an ODI for five years. Right, so he's not you played a T20 match for... Six years.
3: Yeah, whereas someone like Goff played 420 list A games versus Anderson's played 261. So Goff played best part of 200 more one day games and an equivalent number of first class games. So I think we have to park that idea. What we can obviously acknowledge is, as I say, the depth of his desire and uh, his physical attributes to ensure that he can keep going uh, at that level. We're not talking about bowling county cricket level, when you can get players out and you can keep going, as Caddick did, for example, up to when you're 40. Sure, he's playing at a higher level. But if we are going really deep into this, there's also out there quite a lot of average test teams in recent years, quite a lot of average test players in recent years that he's, he's come up against. I would say that the quality of batsmanship in the last five years is not to the same level as it would have been... In a previous era, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and further back from that. So I'm not saying he's had it easy at all. And I'm really, really not. And again, I don't want this clipped into a little web story and he then I get abused. Yeah, look at the two of them. Here. Look at Ben and Yes. God, they barely Bill contain themselves. Slams Anderson. But But I just think that has to be contextualized a little bit. The numbers look absurd. 600 test wickets. But He's been allowed... No, he's been enabled to do that because he's now playing in an era which is unlike any other, is all.
0: I take your point. I still say that no one in the last 20 years has done what Anderson's done in terms of longevity, which is a physical thing. And a, apart well. from broad, I can't see... Yeah, but, but I mean, the, these players did, but they just did it at county cricket. So I mean,
3: where he's, he's elevated... But, it,
0: but no one's done it in international cricket. In, and it's been an option. It's been I, I get your point that it's more doable now than it probably ever has been, but still no one else has but We've how many it.
2: countries have said to their best two bowlers, when they still had a lot of overs left in them, you're not going to play any white ball cricket from now mm. on. You're just going to bowl test cricket. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm you trying want... to think who whose decision that would have been at the time. Uh, what coach would it have been? Who, sorry? Who would have said to Anderson and Broad, basically, who made the decision? Because Anderson abroad and have always been keen to play one day cricket, particularly been, Broad. Ba-
1: Baylis, pretty much. Right? Bayliss? Yeah, because well, Anderson played in the 2015
2: World Cup and then... Okay.
1: Um, and then... Anderson was at, that that was his last game within that World Cup, and then uh, Broad played on for a little bit, playing the Stafka series at the beginning you of 2016. Dropped and then came back yeah, for that yeah. one series thing. And, and yeah, I, th- I think it's actually it's it feels in hindsight now that it was kind of inevitable that that World Cup group was going to be almost like a completely fresh one. But actually, Broad is probably not that far away from featuring that World Cup as in as in, in the timeline, not not as in in the lead up to it, but in sort of if it had gone a bit different in 2016, 2017, he might have been more integral part of. Of that group, but yeah, it's... and also
2: Broad, when he first came through, was was more of a white ball bowler than a test bowler mm. as well. I mean, it, that's been part of his his evolution. So yeah, it, it was a brave call for England to say to the best bowlers, you you you, tap, you have a rest here and just focus on test cricket, and it's paid off massively. Mm. Anderson's still England's leading ODR wicket taker,
1: isn't he? Mm. Um, yeah,
0: as well as test wicket taker. On, on Pakistan, uh, mentioned Azar Ali, Crystal, Crystal Palace fan, Crystal Palace fan Azar Ali. It was a brilliant innings, especially when you consider that his. Career and Capsi were potentially on the line, kept the test alive for Pakistan. On the Crystal Palace link, I'd I'd, I'd highly recommend just Googling Ali Crystal Palace. There's some brilliant tweets, including one with his two sons all dressed in the most recent Crystal Palace kit.
1: I'm not sure if you're going to keep your verbal slip in there, but a a (laughs) a Crystal (laughs) Palace pattern is quite different. (laughs) Lovely stuff.
0: Anyway, Phil, do you think that Pakistan would leave the series... I mean, they eventually lost the series... 1-0 1-0 obviously, but actually were it not for that works Butler budget, They they would have won the series. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you assess that Pakistan's overall performance in what was ultimately quite frustrating series that they didn't get the opportunity really to rectify that defeat?
3: I felt for them a little bit. Uh, you don't expect two weeks of rain uh, on the south coast of, of England in the height of summer, or maybe you should expect it. Uh, they had a chance to win the series. Um, they had a big, big chance to win the series. Uh, they will be Firstly, I think they'll be psychologically exhausted. You're basically under house arrest, albeit it's the Hilton, uh, for two months. Yeah, that would that would take it out of anybody, I think. And and they've got a few, a few T20s to play, and then they can stagger home, and I think they can, in a similar vein to the West Indies, I think they can absolutely feel like they've done a good turn to world cricket. Uh, they will be kicking themselves without a doubt that they didn't nail this one. But they'll also have to just, Contextualise it and say, well, that second Test match, I think they'd have won that second Test match. To have got 2.30 on that pitch in those conditions, and England, were, you know, they were seven for seven for one, weren't they? You know, after the end of day two, and then, then there to be very little cricket from there on in of of any well, no cricket of note. There was some dead cricket right at the end. I think they'd have stood a very good chance of winning that game. And as I said, after the first Test, I would have been surprised if England would have won it three nil. As it is, it's kind of null and void because of the weather. They can't be down on themselves, but they it will be gnawing away at them a little bit. That if it wasn't for Chris Wokes having a day out, the, the day out of his of his Test match career with the bat, really, uh, then then they'd have walked away having beaten England in England for the first time in, in a little while. Of course, he used to do it routinely. Of course, he used to do it. Every few years, quite comfortably. That
0: said, this is England's first win over Pakistan anywhere in the world in 10 years. This is it. So, so
3: and You're right, a number of drawn series in there. Um, I think they've got the makings of a very good team. The, the question is, how much test cricket are they going to be playing over the next period of time? I think we'll come to the, what the, the schedules look like uh, later, in, later in the show, but that is, that is a big issue for them. Um, and it would be a travesty if, if that team doesn't push on not through lack of, a ta- lack of talent, but through a lack of opportunity.
0: Yeah, and I think they've found a really, uh, really excellent keeper-batsman in Rizwan as that well. That's brilliant, he was, isn't he? Such a good keeper. And also uh, with the bat as well, to score two half-centuries in reasonably low-scoring t- testing conditions for sure. Um, very, very impressive. The, th- the thing that
1: struck me about Pakistan is just actually, like, while they will be kicking themselves from a the series point of view, it seems like they just kind of really enjoyed the time over here there was a lovely piece i did with artif noaz on the bbc talking about life in the bio bubble and whereas previous bio bubble things were like yeah we're kind of making do it. it's okay we've sort of got a fifa they were kind of saying like yeah it's just been great just to get to know everyone just really really well and there was awesome. like uh like the it's, 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 it's a video of uh of Yunus khan playing with Shah's hair on the on the balcony just sort of like stroking it and molding it into various things and they asked him what what Eunice was saying to Shah at that point he was saying like you're just telling me, I just love you so much. I love you. You're like a son to me. I love you. <laughs> and it's just, they seem like a. Well, I guess weird things happen when you're
2: stuck in a room. <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah, but... They're going to be sorry to leave the bio bubble yeah. to create one back in Pakistan. Maybe that's the way to get team spirit going. You stick in a bio bubble. Well, um, that, that, d- but just, just on the
3: future tours thing, maybe it's lip service up to a point, but the indication seems to be that England are certainly prepared uh, to reciprocate and head out there at some point. The, the the voices around Wazim Khan, obviously the boss over there at the PCB, he's he he's been very optimistic about that. Root in a press conference said, as players, we'd be up for it. Uh, if this gesture begets uh, reciprocation from England, that would be absolutely marvellous. Mm. And- I mean you just imagine England you know rocking up in a test match in Karachi or Lahore first time in 20 years it'd be absolutely marvelous. Mm,
0: absolutely. Um I don't really want to talk about this for very long but we did talk a long time on the for a long time on the last episode about bad light and how it should be handled differently and in this test it was handled differently potentially dangerously so Don Best said um that conditions were seriously dangerous at one point it was a, it was the evening where England dropped three catches in a, very short time he said you've got numbers 10 and 11 out there having to face up to someone like Joffre um, in these conditions it's seriously dangerous I think the light meter reading was 430 lux the game before when we came off it was about 700 obviously we all want to be playing cricket but I think as well there's got to be a little bit more common sense in terms of players well-being Um, so I thought that was worth noting Um, Joe I'm going to ask you Ian Ward's favourite question where do you think England are as a test side
2: (laughs) that's quite a good impression yeah, um, right. I. So, did you read Jonathan Lewis' piece in The Guardian? Yes. Uh, England's Wasted Summer, I think, was how he described it. Uh, <laughs> I don't often disagree with, with Jonathan, having subbed his work for Wisdom Cricket Monthly for 20 odd issues. Uh, on this, I have to say, I completely disagree with him. His point was basically that they didn't take the opportunity to, to give Mark Wood a few games, prepare for Australia. And this, this is a bit of a bugbear of mine that you can somehow prepare for an Ashes series whilst playing in kind of dark, wet conditions in England. Uh, I'm not sure playing Mark Wood in these conditions would have prepared him for the Ashes, might have even broken him before the Ashes. Uh, I think England did what they needed to do. I think the best way that England can prepare for a series like that is win as many games as they possibly can and then you can easily slot players in and out to a winning, to a winning side. Um, so I, th- I think they're in a really good place. That doesn't mean they're going to go and win in India. Uh, I don't think they'll win in India. Uh, I think they've got a reasonable chance of winning Australia the best that they'll have had uh, since winning it out there
0: that's really not saying very much so <laughs> I know
2: well no but it's not in oh. hindsight but we when they went out okay. there we didn't necessarily think they were going to get absolutely hammered I think people thought they'd win in 2013-14 didn't they
1: they just won 3-0 at home and we didn't realise Mitchell Johnson had suddenly become Jeff. Johnson yeah. overnight
2: but... well I think it was considered an even contest I think which obviously it was not um, I think that the there's certainly the, the batting is looking huge that's so much more encouraging than it was not very long ago. Um Crawley, Pope, Sibley, all having good summers. Um it's the Spin Department, isn't it? The Spin Department is is a real struggle, I think. Um again to quote Jonathan's piece, he said uh he didn't think Austria's batsmen would be having sleepless nights about Donbass, let alone Australia's uh which is a little a little harsh. Um but I'm sure he'll sleep at night though. Or <laughs> J but he's uh he didn't look particularly threatening this summer. We've talked before about he fill he, he takes a few boxes and does a tidy job, but um it might be heavy going for him in, in India next year. But overall I think that things things looking rosy. What first win uh three series wins in a row since the Strauss team of ten eleven. Um Root is looking more in control of the side, seems in control of that side, seems pretty happy as captain. Obviously the batting is a minor concern i guess the, the archer question continues and is and is a huge one as as we look ahead to the ashes mm. uh if england's to win out there i think he's got to have a big series uh and there is the, the chance that when by the time we get out there he's not in their best 11 the way things have been going over the last over the last few months so that that's kind of i would say almost top of joe root's kind of mm-hmm. inbox to, to figure out how best to use him and 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 to make sure he's happy in that environment because he obviously hasn't always been this summer. That's pretty clear.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a really interesting piece. I'd recommend everyone reading it. Um, I kind of understood where he's coming from though. England have just only just beaten the teams ranked 6th and 7th in the world at home. It's quite a simplistic way of looking at it. But I don't think you could almost read too much into how well England have done. So if you look, we were for wisdom.com yesterday, we were choosing the overseas player of the summer. No one had two good tests against England this summer. Like, this was not world-class opposition playing in very difficult conditions. So I think England, there were some encouraging signs, but equally, in the series against Pakistan, only Anderson and Broad took more than six wickets. You know, like... Reasons
3: reasons to be unquestionably cheerful. They've got two young players, two young batsmen who are the real deal. Uh, They've got a, a cohort of upcoming quicks who... Look like the real deal. Ollie Robinson's going to play for England, and we've seen already that they have a decent uh, strength in depth in that department. Uh, Josh Butler's a good news story. Uh, ben, Sto- ben Stokes is the best cricketer in the world. Areas of concern remain, I think, the opening batsman. There's a precariousness around those two. Uh, one more than the other, in my opinion, but we don't need to go into that. Uh, Joe Root's captaincy becomes ever more assured but the average continues to fall, uh, go further south. I think that situation will resolve itself, for what it's worth. Uh, and as Joe ba- is bang on, as ever, Archer is it's a huge dilemma for England. And it's, it's not huge, but it's becoming more and more uh, mysterious, really. And th- the tone around Joffre among the cognoscenti, in inverted commas, the, the, the people that you, li- you listen to on Sky, the people that you listen to on TMS, the influencers on social media, we know about these big beasts of, of who of who I talk, there is, a, there is a tone around Archer. Now, this is how it works in cricket. People talk. People talk in corridors. People talk uh, in hotel rooms. And word spreads among the, the inner sanctums of cricket, and in English cricket just as much as anywhere else. And something is not quite right with Archer. And it might be that they are hiding the injury. It might be that. It might be that he's not working to, uh, to the satisfaction of the coaching team. It might be that. It might be that his, his demeanor doesn't fit with England's up and atom approach. It might be something completely different to all of that. But one thing is definitely telling that the way that he's spoken about and the way that he's spoken to uh, suggests that there is something burbling under the surface with him. And I think it will, it, it will come to a head at some point. Uh, I just hope that he doesn't get disillusioned with it. I really, really do, because he's such a precious talent. Um, we saw little glimpses of it in an otherwise tricky summer for him. I thought his spell on the final day at Southampton in the first test was as good as anything we've seen all year. He took four for eighty in another game and got the, and got booted up the ass straight away. I mean, that's the Jofra story in many respects. And he obviously ballsed up uh, halfway through the summer and missed that Test match. Um, I hope the management, because and they will be hoping too. I mean, they no one's uh, unaware of how valuable he can still be to English cricket. But I hope that the management figure out how to work with him. And I hope he, I hope he feels more comfortable in that setup because. He seems to be a bit defensive, a bit down on himself, and he, I think he's waiting for the next kicking. Uh, we've seen it in one or two articles that he's, he's ghosted. We saw it in that Daily Mail article that he ghosted six weeks ago, the kind of the why always me element. Now, that's a dangerous place for a, for a sports person to get to uh, if he feels like people are, people are at him and that he doesn't have any mates because English cricket needs to protect this boy.
2: Do you think, to look at it from a purely cricketing sense, um, there is potentially just that kind of awkward second year in international cricket? We talk about it more with batsmen, that that their technical deficiencies get worked out or their strong areas get worked out and they don't get bowled at in the same way as they used to. Now, everyone talks about Archer's deceptive pace because he kind of ambles in. You can only be deceptive for so long. I mean, a lot of these players will have seen him play in a World Cup and Asher series obviously had played T20 leagues around the world, but they still don't get the coverage in in quite the same way. So is there an element just that batsmen know what to expect? I'm not saying that he's been figured out. He he will obviously learn in the same way. He will learn things to get new batsmen out. He will develop. But whether there is that that kind of, after the initial rush of God, what what, this guy can do everything. Just starting to figure little elements out and and, and it's just less of a surprise package.
3: I I think the the limited... Comparatively limited amount of lateral movement he gets, coupled with bowling on pretty unresponsive wickets in England, uh, has exacerbated his, his struggles, I think.
1: Um,
0: what about how England use it?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think the, the insistence on the short ball strategy is to me just in, like... like really really frustrates me because because the thing about Archer's is not reflective of the conditions is it and the the, the thing about Archer's bouncer as well is that like sky did a little thing on this is that there is absolutely no clue in his run-up or yeah. his action that the bounce Indeed. coming is, it's basically just the point of the flick of his wrist that it comes out at and so it's it's one of the most deceptive bouncers in world cricket i think he would take more wickets with the short ball if he bowled a sixth of them because batsman wouldn't see it coming wouldn't be able to set up for it and and then he'd also be challenging the outside edge by hitting the top of off as well. And I think so Ben Jones did a piece for Wisdom.com a while ago that basically said to, to it said a couple of things. The the main things I took away were that expecting Archer to bowl 93 miles per hour every time it goes out when he's bowled. I think since he made his debut, only Pat Cummins in World Cricket has bowled more overs than him is kind of out of the question. If you want him to bowl that much you've got to either have him pick a format or like rest in behalf of the games or something like that. And he's also got the most like one of the best controls of his line over any bowl in the world. I think if you just set, like, let him just line up outside off stump at 88 miles an hour all day, he's going to average like 25 in test cricket. You don't need to like, you, you, there's no reason for him to be getting funky with him having not be this guy that's kind of there to sort of either blast out players or just try and get them out caught deep square legs. Like, like baffling, and it's that, I think that that is a big part of it for me.
0: You talk about that spell as a Hampton against West Indies. That's what it was. It was with, with a new ball. He was bowling outside off stump, a classical new ball spell with the odd bounce. It wasn't just right. It's gone, slips out, fielders on the boundary. Um, but but and also, I think
3: also, sorry, on that spell, it, it was quite gnarly as well. And I think if there's a frustration with him within the inner sanctum, it's that they want to see that that fast, that fast bowler cliche come out a little bit more like against Smith or Wade last summer. Yeah, when, when when there's that intuitive
1: sense that this is the moment and I'm going to be remorseless. But he he ruffled up Smith and Wade, but he didn't like Wade got 100, Smith got 92 and he didn't get him out. I mean, and, and no, I mean and more he...
2: I mean more the attitude involved in that spell. I mean that, that was him and Wade was was great. I mean because I mean they played played together the big bash, didn't they? But mm-hmm. for that moment it looked like they hated each other and it was real it was real good drama and Wade came out better in that absolutely um, but it got Archer's back up, and I think perhaps you want to see more of that.
1: Possibly, but I thought his, his best spell of the summer was the, the first innings at Headingley when he, he he wasn't he was bowling slightly slower than Laws. He was still bowling like mid to high eighties and hitting the top of off and took six for like six for nothing basically. And that's that's I think I mean, it's, it's, do, do we want to see Archer scare people occasionally? Hit people and raise the speed guns or do we, do we want to see him take wickets i think and like um i think that he is going to do more of that by just taking the top of off like mm. a like like you know like, like he w- would have done for, for sussex lots of the time as well i think that's mm. a, he, I think he and i think almost i worry that in a way he's not being taken into discussion about how to use him enough because i can't think that it's him saying i just want to bowl bounce all the time when that's not what he's done in any other form of cricket he's ever played really
0: mm. Um, well, the international season plows on. Uh, the T20i series against Pakistan starts this Friday. Uh, There's some really good news yesterday that uh, West Indies are, are, are saving the summer again. Their women's team are coming over for a five-match T20i series that will start in September. All five games will take place at Derby. And the third of those games we broadcast live on the BBC, um, which is which is excellent news. Phil, you wrote yesterday on wisdom.com that the thing you'll miss most about this summer's Test Cricket is Test Cricket um, because we might, not get to see test cricket for a while Um, when are we likely to be able to see test cricket again Uh,
3: well this is where I tend to fall down because that requires research um, and journalistic rigour from what we gather England aren't playing test cricket before the start of next year there's a hope that they can play the Sri Lanka tour the cancelled Sri Lanka tour and then that will lead into the Uh, the the five test matches against India which has been obviously bracketed for a long time now it's a huge cash cow and obviously a huge prestige series as well so while it feels horribly bereft on the England cricket side from here on in um, for the next four or five months we will at least hopefully resume in January next year Uh, and uh, thus then begins a monster run of run of test matches so yeah so we, we might be going hungry for a few months but then it's back uh the, the australian summer is an interesting one it's yet to be fully uh, nailed down but uh, we're expecting my understanding as they say in journalist quarters my understanding is that ca are going to make a, a statement quite soon confirming the india series which will be four test matches in december right in december across the normal timings of australian uh, of the, the australian summer uh, minus melbourne now melbourne is 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 in local lockdown at the moment there are no uh, there's no movement at all and so they're a- anticipating that there will not be a test match at the mcg those who have seen test matches there of late may not cry too much into their into their milk on that one uh, but Afghanistan is the, the, the pipe opener. So it'll be a one-off test match uh, against Afghanistan, then four test matches against against India, uh, a bunch of the short stuff around that as well. Um, and, and so by S- December the 3rd, we'll be into hopefully an Australia-India test match for test match series. And that will obviously be marvellous uh, and much welcome. They are hoping that there will be people in, as well, certainly Perth and Adelaide are taking fans, albeit restricted numbers, but they are taking fans into their Aussie Rules games. So hopefully that can be replicated. So we could have not just Test cricket from late November with that Afghan game, then the India stuff, but also populated Test cricket. So that'll be that'll be immense as well for the game. New Zealand uh, are going full steam ahead with a with a, a rock solid uh, and chunk chunky. Uh, winter program.
0: Totally as planned, totally confirmed as Totally as well.
3: planned. Uh, so that's, that's great as well. So what we're having is, what, three weeks from now, it's the IPL kicking in, I think. So that'll be, you know... Your, that takes
0: your, us to mid-November. Yeah. It's got and the Caribbean Premier League going on, still got the blast to come as well.
3: Yeah. And so what we'll have is, is a reasonably accurate facsimile of, of what you'd normally have. You know, New Zealand and Australia turning it on for us and then come the turn of the year... Uh, England and West Indies playing their own stuff uh you know with India hosting England in that that early springtime uh, so hopefully uh after this this period this interval now we, we can we can crack on in in a few months and and have something looking resembling the cricket that we 've
0: known and loved excellent um on on to the bob willis trophy we 've had another cracking round um it 's all to play for now, going into the final round of that, uh which bizarrely takes place after a few t20 fixtures i don't know why they're not playing all the bob willis fixtures in in one burst um as it stands the final will be contested by somerset and derbyshire um loads of other teams have a chance to qualifying too: essex kent yorkshire Worcestershire. worcester actually play somerset in the final game in the central group so that's a winner takes all clash um anyway standout performers performances and uh, standout games from the latest round of fixtures, there were two incredible performances in a losing cause for Glamorgan against North Ants. So 22-year-old Callum Taylor on first-class debut scored a runnable 100, um, putting on 124 for the last wicket with Michael Hogan. Uh, in the same game, Marshall De Langer coming in with a score at 60 for eight. scored the fastest first-class 100 in the history of Glamorgan County Cricket Club. They still lost, though. Um, Charlie Thurston scoring a ton and a 50 for North Hants. Um, Somerset's ridiculous season with the ball continued. They bowled Gloucester out for less than 80 in both innings. Overton took nine for... Craig Overton, that is, took nine for about 50 in the game and now has 23 wickets at nine this series. Tim Urter took a five for for Middlesex and a win over Sussex. Alistair Cook scored 100 um, in Essence's reigned ruined game. Less than a day's play was played there. Um, and the game of the round was actually here at the Oval where... Kent beat Surrey by 20 runs. Um, Most notable performance is actually by a Surrey player, Ben Folkes, in his first first first-class game in 11 months, coming out of the Bioskewer bubble. (laughs) scored 100 in the first innings and 57 in the second innings and looked like he could basically win Surrey that game on his own. Um, But wickets from Darren Stevens, as always, and Matt Milnes as well, won the game for Kent. Um, So lots of exciting stuff happening, even in a rain affected round which is runs for
2: Haseeb pamid again as well yeah 87 owning the batting for knots
0: yeah and his partner ben slater is the leading run score in the country he's had quite an odd season lots of lots of good stuff happening in the willis the t20 blast starts this week joe you wrote a preview in the magazine so we can direct people to that for a, a longer preview of it um but who are you tipping to win the blast
2: <laughs> well it's always an absolute mugs game Predicting for the blast. I think this is the 17th. I think this is the 18th year of T20 cricket in this country, I believe. Uh, So, in 17 previous T20 uh, competitions, we've had 13 different winners. No side has ever retained the trophy. Worcestershire came very close last year, of course. Um, So, basically, it's just finger in the air stuff, but my finger is pointing at knots this year. Um, They've got a powerful batting lineup. Alex Hales, one of the best T20 batsmen in the world, not playing for England, as we all know. Um which should serve knots pretty well, but I think Somerset as well obviously on a on a on a role in the in the willis uh and also have a really good t twenty side so those would be the two sides i 'm looking out for but it, it really is it does feel like a lottery even more so this year because the vast majority of overseas players aren 't coming a lot of the coal packs aren 't coming as well, so that has really leveled the playing field in what was already quite a level playing field uh so it should be great stuff. I just I hope, we were talking about this before the show, I just hope that Test Cricket worked really well um, in the bubble, under lockdown, however you call it. The lack of fans hasn't bothered me, particularly in terms of a, a television experience. Uh, it might be trickier to pull that off with The Blast, where that is so much related to reactions from the crowd. That's how Sky do their coverage excellently. Um, if you get a one-sided contest and there's no crowd, and the weather's not great, it could be a bit of a drab affair. Hopefully, we get some really exciting cricket, which detracts from the fact that there are no supporters there. Um, because the Blast, year in, year out, always provides great entertainment. There's debate about how it ranks alongside the IPL and the Big Bash and all those other ones. Which, incidentally, Sam Billings, who's played in pretty much all of them, says IPL top, Blast and Bash, PSL, not much produced between them. So the idea that the Blast is well beneath the rest he doesn't subscribe to and he's better placed than most to, to call that. So yeah, hopefully it's another great, exciting tournament.
0: Excellent. Um, before we finish the show, Colin Graves' tenure as ECB chairman is coming to an end. Um, he did a couple of punchy interviews, first at The Telegraph, then on Sky, then, then on TMS this week. Um, I'm going to ask you guys how do you think his tenure will be remembered but, I'll, but before... before I'll I'll let you answer I'll just read out something he said on Sky Uh, He said I think people in cricket don't like change I don't think they realize we're trying to attract this new audience women children families which we never really had coming to cricket I know that even some countries abroad India in particular looking at the hundred and have been talking to me about it over the last year um Ben yeah go back to my original question how do you think his tenure will be remembered that was a very Colin Gray's way to bow out
1: yeah, well, I, I think his legacy is is as yet undetermined. Actually, because he pinned so much of his reputation really on the hundred, and it's for reasons out of his control yet to get off the ground. I, th- I think if that happens next year and it's a huge success, it's what brings cricket back to the masses in a way. Then we will have to kind of look and say maybe maybe Colin Graves was 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 right. I think if if that sort of Flops and it doesn't get the, the the fans in and people are sort of confused by the rules and it doesn't attract the overseas players or, or, or whatever. Um, then we sort of have to we, we then then we have to kind of reevaluate and think that actually he kind of said he did because so much has been said to us because there there were other options you know, they, they could have you know they put so much money into it they've sort of have in a way that that, that money could have been spent on the blast if they'd wanted to turn that into closer to a, a Premier T Twenty competition with you know a concentration of talent two divisions that sort of thing. Uh, so, the, so that it, it 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 is a, it is a gamble, and we don't yet know whether it's a successful one or not. So, I think that basically will determine the fate. Alongside, he'll be remembered for the hundred and for the sort of the 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 punchiness slash the gaffes, which have obviously and 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 partly, I mean, partly he's kind of fighting a a battle he can't win after a certain point because he got stick on Twitter for an interview did with the Telegraph, Nick Holt and the Telegraph, where he said that he thinks some counties have to are going to have to go part-time and people saying this is a you know an indictment of 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 an ECB chairman to be saying this kind of thing but a year before as Nick Holt pointed out he'd done a survey of county chief execs where seven out of the 18 had felt that in 10 years time not all the first class counties currently will still be playing championship cricket so this is like a in 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 the corridors of power this is a kind of an unspoken publicly but privately held view and I think Colin Graves is kind of just making that more public but it's like, putting himself in the, kind of, in the front line while doing it. Not to say that everything he says is is defensible and there, you know, there's, like, a lot of things that could have been couched better and, but yeah. I, I think
3: he quite enjoys that role of being a sort of, oh, that awful cliche, no-nonsense Yorkshireman, as he refers to himself as. He enjoys that. He enjoys the, the, the radical uh, element of the job. He enjoys um, being this kind of, bolshy mouthpiece um, who is calling it as it really is and all of that uh, what that can often end up coming across as though is a kind of un un-nuanced, uh extreme position an unbending position um, and he has been right I thought your answer is bang on actually it is undetermined up to a point but the 100 has become such a such a, an evangelical thing for him and Tom Harrison uh, that any opposition to it, uh, they are almost kind of aggressively against it, uh, and they can't see that see that a way that it could fail. They can't see a way that it it might actually be ultimately to the detriment of the system. Um, and the the statements that Graves made last week re, just reemphasize. Uh, their position that they are necessary reformers of a model that, in in the corridors of power, is not felt to be fully sustainable or fully useful for the future of English cricket. Now, that sticks in the craw for a lot of people. It it makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, I, for what it's worth, I believe in the eight, the 18 county model i like the altruism of the 18 county model i like the old world togetherness element of the of the 18 county model but what graves who is a proud thatcherite what graves has always backed is this this fundamental point that um the system doesn't really provide for itself and that there's there's too much deadwood out there. There's too many counties there that are going cap in hand to the ECB and asking for handouts. Now, I don't think that fits with his philosophical and political ideology. Uh, and I think what we've seen is a hardening of that position um, with him who, he, and he feels like he's echoing what I, what other CEOs are saying. And I've Nick Holt, bang on. You know, he's spoken to all the CEOs out there. One of the most respected journalists in the country. Uh, a lot of these CEOs are saying similar things to what Colin Graves is saying, and a lot of and I've spoken to one particular CEO of a prominent county who's saying the same thing, um, and uh, they would never go on the record and say it. What Graves has done is go on the record, and what he did last week on Sky was sort of proudly is like an up yours. It's an up yours to to the uh, to the traditionalists, oh they don't like change and all that sort of stuff. Well, that's that's his. And and there's a kind of proud uh, rebuttal of anybody who says, well, actually, we find this quite a precious and beautiful thing.
2: There's a a certain level of sniffiness almost comes across as sneering at at the the traditional fans that I think will dictate his legacy in, in a lot of ways, certainly amongst people who consider themselves genuine cricket fans. And I only interviewed graves very briefly a couple of years ago i didn't get the impression he was a cricket fan i got the impression he didn't know much about cricket he he, he sees it as a as a business um and i think that's what people really object to they they think he doesn't understand the game that he is trying to change in some people's minds irrevocably Uh, and that's gonna be a really hard thing to get over on the on the face of it he had he's got a successful legacy i mean england have won A Women's World Cup and a Men's World Cup. I think a lot of people, some of them at the ECB, would say that they've done those things despite him rather than because of him. There's certainly been an impression over the last couple of years that the ECB are very happy to keep him to one side because every time he opens his mouth, he says something they wish he hadn't. Uh, Famous example being the mediocre blast, which is trotted out regularly. In fact, I did in my piece on the blast that I wrote for the magazine because it's an outrageous thing for someone to say about a tournament that they are in charge of, that they're running, that they should be promoting, uh, I mean, unforgivable is a bit strong, but it, but it is really. For someone in that position to be saying that, about to, to, to grade a tournament in that way, um, was going to be hard to get over. And then obviously the 100 follows hot on the hills of that. So I, I don't think he's, he's going to be popular among cricket fans. However the 100 goes, really. But he might end up being looking like a successful chairman. Might not
0: be the last we see of him as well. He, he, well, indeed. He, he, he definitely did not rule out the possibility of being IC chairman. It was a job interview. for it. Well, well, if he well,
2: thinks he's got the support, he'll go for it. That, that's that's how it'll work. He'll absolutely,
3: Joe, bang on, he will absolutely take that job if there's enough support behind it. It was interesting, the 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 contrast between his... Descriptions of the county setup and his descriptions of world cricket. Uh, he was making very good noises, very positive noises about maintaining the key member states, the member nations together, and replenishing the the, the, the money more evenly across the board. It was a clear uh, job plea. It was a come and get me plea to cricket South Africa, to cricket New Zealand, to cricket Zimbabwe, etc., etc. Uh, he will take that job in a heartbeat, no doubt about it. Um, just one other thing that jumped out from that that interview on Sky, it was a very kind of softly, softly interview um, from Ian Ward. And one thing that jumped out is that he said, in defence again of the 100, and you know that I'm you know, not against it necessarily, but one thing that really, I did spit my cornflakes out, he said that India are looking very, very closely at the 100. I mean, do me a favour, really. I don't think India are looking at this and thinking, do you know what we need? Do you know what we need to crack that elusive audience out there? We need a hundred ball game of cricket. I don't think, so. I think they're doing okay out there. I don't think they're going to be especially bothered about overhauling their domestic system. Maybe when he says they're looking very closely, he means they're wondering what the hell we're up to. <laughs> what he might mean is that some people are looking at investing in it. That's what he might mean. Um, you know. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah, Uh, just one, one, one little thing, little thing, sorry, on Graves, um, one tick in the box. He is, he does have a history in recreational cricket. He he was a decent player at recreational level and there has been a lot more money diverted via the good TV deal that they secured. No question, it's an excellent TV deal that they secured, partly predicated on the hundred and a lot of that money or some of that money at least has been earmarked for the recreational game and more money has flowed into the recreational game during his tenure than it had done before. So at least and in previous eras, previous regimes if you like, there has been a complacency about grassroots cricket. There absolutely has. I'm not saying that the ECB have overturned that uh decades long complacency under under Graves, but there are at least signs
1: now that there is more respect given to it. And sorry, this I don't know how much you can credit it to Graves, but this summer has been a phenomenal success for the ECB really. When 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 you look back on the whole thing, you know the 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 first sport to bring crowds back into the ground, kind of the first uh, international sporting fixtures since COVID be began in any sport, uh, like forcing a government U-turn on club cricket, uh, like the fact that clubs seem to have essentially survived, like rec- recreational clubs. I mean, seem to have kind of come through it. When actually, there were times to someone they kind of felt that, like, like you know, the, the recreational people were kind of decimated by it. Like, uh, English cricket has actually come out of it in almost like as as almost like a better state than it could have hoped for. I think, I mean, we'll see what the, if there are financial implications next year, but this summer it feels like a, a huge triumph. And again, don't know how much that really can dedicate to Colin Gray's, but if he is in charge of the whole thing, then presumably some, I guess.
0: Mm. We've gone on for quite a long time. Um, well done if you've got this far
1: you've been looking at your clock for the last 25 minutes haven't you
0: yeah well not just the last 25 minutes I, I <laughs> didn't know how didn't know how long we, we got through. I mean I guess it's the last test last test of the summer there's a lot to talk about um,
2: but also we've had no cricket for about four months but yeah. the summer. it's only fair that we talk about it
0: that's true that's true um, anyway thanks for getting this far folks um, if you've enjoyed the show tell your friends and if you're feeling especially nice leave us a nice review on the podcast app cheers
1: Podcast Network.